clothes for anything. B for baby blue. C is classy, clams and clogs. D for doggy doo. That's two. E is easy. F for flange. G for gallon. H for ham. I for idiot. You're an idiot. I'm an idiot. Jerry. K is kooky. L for lads. R for ladies. Lads, lads, lads. M for mummy. N for knock knock. Who's there? P P P P P. Q R S T U for ugly. V for Venus. W for W. X is hard to comprehend. Why can't I just reach the end? Z for zebra. Zinc and zany. Baglioni. Zip zucchini. Zoom and zoom and zipple into the alphabet is really cool. So, um, here we are. Here we are. Back again. Oh my God, we're back again. Oh my God. Who was that? That was real. <laughs> no, it was the Vonkette. You're not on the Vonkette. It's the stool. <laughs> <laughs> a stool. Do it it's... again then. I can't, but it was. <laughs> Jelly farted. I did and, not. Uh, it's episode N. So <laughs> for, for not true. For noxious gas. <laughs> <laughs> That's me choking on it. Guys, look at it. It looks great. The listeners can't see. I've got a new tat. No, you don't. You've drawn on your arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to check how it's going to look. So it's episode N. We've all picked our topics, but... I think we ran through quite a few, quite a few. Oh my god! Options before we landed on our ends. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, Marika, why don't you kick us off? What were a few that you picked up and discarded? So I tried digging in. I actually, I looked up all of these. I actually did minimal amounts of research on all of them. Um, Nigella Lawson, um, knits, nymphomania, necrophilia, Oof. and they're all they're all interesting. But it just didn't feel right, you know. Mm. Well, we'll find out soon what you actually uh, did settle on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jelly, what about you? Did you uh, have any other thoughts? I did. I was tempted by narcissism. Of course you were. Yeah, big fat b- b- baby. Because <laughs> 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 that's famously what narcissism is. <laughs> but, and I was also tempted by Niagara Falls. Because our friend told us a great story about a woman going over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. Yes. And she put her dog down first. Yes, that's the, that was the story. <laughs> uh, but that's not where I landed. Well, we'll find out where you landed soon. What did you think about doing, Gina? I didn't have that many thoughts. I dipped into Emperor Nero and then I realised I'd done Kings and I thought, mm. no one likes a, a history boffin. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, poodled along. And landed to... on nudism. Ooh, mm. nude, nudism, n- New nudism, <laughs> nudism. Who this? <laughs> nudism. Uh, who dism? I'm thrilled that you laugh like that. I was saying that over and over again to Theo yesterday, and he was like, "It's enough." <laughs> I like it. Um, nudism slash naturism. Mm. Is there a difference? Well. Very lucky that you asked because there is, although it's like very slight and kind of tenuous and it's slightly, every version of the difference that I read was kind of different. And I'll tell you my understanding of what the difference is. Nudism is just the practice of being naked in whatever way you want to do that. You are just naked. Mm. Naturism is slightly more of an investment in the... A philosophy of being naked and the belief that there is some kind of spiritual and health benefits to it that it's 
somehow tied more profoundly to our true self. Mm. I think more spiritual. Yeah, I think that's the difference. So, anyone here a nudist or a naturalist? Just before we go, naturist. Naturist, yeah. I think a naturalist is something else. Yes, because in my head I was thinking about a story I wanted to tell. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Please take the floor. (laughs) No, because it's not my section. Well, come on. But when, uh, and I've done the the reverse of in the story, when David Attenborough came to Salisbury. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) To visit Uh, you? He did. I must have told you this story about having dinner with David Attenborough. What? What? You haven't told me that. Murray, you know it, 100%. David Attenborough came to my parents' house and we had dinner. You haven't told what? me that. How are, for real? How did he come to be at dinner? So he his friend, his really good friend was an artist whose name escapes me. But it began <laughs> <laughs> it began with a C. Anyway, this artist who I think is now dead, but recently Chagall. No. <laughs> had an exhibition. Chicaprio. <laughs> That's not even the one I was thinking of. I was trying to think of Leonardo da Vinci's name and I just came out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, I've never made that. That was a whole new sound. <laughs> oh, I've hijacked your section in such a big way. It's a masterclass, I have to say. <laughs> I know, you just got to tell us now why oh, yeah. David... He was it, in Salisbury, something to do with his friend who was a painter and they were holding an exhibition of this man's work at Salisbury Museum, which my mum at the time was the chairperson of. Yep. She had to do a little speech. So David was coming to talk about his friend. Oof. The details are hazy. Anyway, <laughs> he m- mum asked him if he wanted to come because we live like two doors down from the museum that she was working at. She invited him for dinner, him and his daughter, and they came for dinner. When was this? Must have been about four years ago now. Oh, so he was really old. Yeah, he he had just turned or was just turning 90. In the time that I've known you, yeah, this happened. I'm and sure I've neglected you to mention that he came round for dinner. I'm I sure can't believe that I didn't know this. And, and, and Why weren't you live texting? Because, because You're trying to keep him to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a Thursday night. I got there early and he rang the home phone to ask where to park and I picked up the phone and it was David Attenborough on the phone and I was David, like, hold on a minute. Hello, David, <laughs> you lovely man. <laughs> anyway, he kept, he sort of had tea with me and my mum and hi, him and his daughter, who is fascinating, by the way. His daughter is, she's incredible. Sorry, my point here is... <laughs> all those sorry, I was half past seven, I'm my so section's sorry. over. <laughs> anyway, but mum, when mum had to introduce him... She said, she won't thank me for telling this story and neither will you two by the time it's taken. <laughs> she introduced him as Cat. one of the world's greatest naturists <laughs> by accident <laughs> instead of naturalists. That's very good. But she started out like a pro and it was great. That's great. Well, I mean, so I think, he could be. I think he, he could probably be, yeah. quite like that. Um, completely lost my train of thought, actually. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Will's holding his head in his hands. <laughs> He's just doing a poo in <laughs> Oh, good Lord. Okay, so as I've mentioned, uh, the difference between nudism and naturism, naturism is the slightly more spiritual investment Mm -hmm. in the practice of being nude. But really, they are both uh, a lifestyle of practicing (laughs) (laughs) non-sexual nudity. And that can be practiced at home or it can be in dedicated spaces like 
nudist clubs, mm. nudist beaches, which some of us may have been to. We'll find out soon. <laughs> Sounds like some of us who are talking may have been no, to. No, actually, I've never, been, I've never been to a nudist beach. I have, in researching this, I started to feel like, started to feel like a real pervert because... What, for the pickies? No, I wasn't really looking at many pickies. I did oh. send you some pickies just because yeah. they pop. You'd be surprised. I didn't look at really any pickies apart from the two that I sent you. They just were on one of the websites. It's known as Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> known as Pornhub. <laughs> actually, it's quite shocked. I was trying to look into the childhood nudism, known Ooh. as family nudism. <laughs> what, as in... Hang on a minute. Just being naked when you're a kid. Well, but in a conscious practicing way like your parents raise you as a nudist oh. and um, there's a Wikipedia page on childhood nudity and there's a picture of some naked children on it and I was like that doesn't feel right it's a funny one and it, apparently it's been a really difficult thing in law to differentiate between child pornography and photographs of nudist children but wouldn't you as the child's primary caregiver it's not about what the intention necessarily is behind the picture but there's also people on the internet who yeah who are bad bad people their intention yeah. oh yeah. completely yeah. i feel like we've gone in at the deep end and i want to bring us back to the surface okay just to kind of go over some of the yeah well we can go i want to go there i want to talk about this <laughs> i want to do this with you girls okay. you're both great girls you are great girls okay oh i love that yeah so as I've mentioned, nudism can mean that you practice being naked at home just with you and your dog, just with you and your partner, with you and your family and your kids. Or it can mean that you seek out purposefully uh, social activities. And really, nudism, you can do anything in the nude. One example <laughs> which really made me laugh was archery. Ooh. Um, what about your nipples? What about them? I just feel like they could get um, sort of sliced off by the... Mistaken the for targets. Elastic. <laughs> oh, golly. Mine probably could. I think playing a show, a musical show, one of Mariga's shows, naked would be hard work with an instrument across my tatters. Yeah. They'd be in tatters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that I read that people do in the nude at nude clubs... To me, I was like, why would you do that in the nude? Like but I think... using a chainsaw or something. <laughs> but like... Uh, like what? Like well, what? archery was oh, yeah, kind of yeah. one example. Um, I don't know. Tennis? Roller squash. Skin. Tennis, yeah. Squash, table tennis, all those sorts of things. Ice cream socials. You'd have to have small tits to yeah. be playing tennis without a bra on. Anything yeah. sporty, you, you really have to be lean, lean, lean. Also, you could probably accidentally hit your wang. Well, this is where the, the one of the reasons cited as why people wear clothes engage in nudism. Oh. That <laughs> kind of no, not that. That just came up again and again is it's just so much fun. And I was like, what does that mean? It's so much fun because of it's you know it can be fun to be naked, but going into a space with a bunch of strangers when you're all in the nude, what is it that makes that fun? Perhaps it is that when you're playing tennis, you watching the tits swinging around which aren't held in by a bra I don't know but for the bearer of the tits not for the bearer but fun for everyone else to watch yeah but it's very sore yes I agree I agree I'm with you here but presumably sorry I think maybe you, you said this at the beginning but I was too busy thinking about the my David Attenborough story presumably there's nothing sexual about it well that is 
the kind of definition is that it's non-sexual. God, that is the whole definition. That is Ellie. the whole that definition. Is the whole definition. <laughs> but okay, I'm so, so sorry. I am so sorry. So most of the nude clubs that you go to, that one goes to, that I've been to, um, have are, you? No, I haven't. Oh. But I'm kind of interested in going just for an experience. Oh, here she comes. Oh my god. (laughs) Most nude clubs are explicitly non sexual and it's illegal to do anything overtly sexual, like anything more than a kiss and like holding hands. If it was like making out, that would be deemed really inappropriate and would be kind of frowned upon by the community. But there are certain resorts. One that's quite well known is in France, it's called Cap d'Agde. And in the 90s, it became known for its swinging and orgies and bukake, actually, the word. <laughs> Is that the rope thing? What's I, bukake? Do you know what? I actually have Isn't to that check. T- tying people? I think it's when everyone jizzes on someone. That's oh. what I thought as well, yeah. Oh. I feel like I remember on. boys saying that when we were younger. Sexual practice involving several men ejaculating on the face of an individual woman. That's it. That Why does it, it have to be a woman? Oh, you know, these things do. Oh. Oh. She's showing her true colours now. Oh, First it was, it, everyone's a, a lesbian. <laughs> they are. She... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Otherwise, though, there are places where it, it's got very sexual, but the nudist community likes to distance itself from those kind of sexual, right. kinky spaces because those sorts of practices are what get good decent nudist beaches shut down mm-hmm. yeah um so they are very different another thing i should flag is that the word colony people often say nudist colonies uh i gather they do not like that word because it's just not an accurate ants <laughs> well that's literally what one guy said he was like it makes us sound like ants but ants took it from people ants did people- didn't take it <laughs> maybe people took it from ants Anyway, the <laughs> the main misconception, as we've touched on, about naturism, nudism, is that it is sexual in nature. So if it's not about it, sex, it's not sexual. Why are people doing it? <laughs> Sorry, Gina, we're it's not. It's not sexual. It's not sexual. It's not. That's no. That I know. That's what, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. But you just said if it's sexual. No, no. If it's not, not sexual. sexual then, what then why are people doing it? it? Yeah. Why? why? Why are people doing it? Well, here's why. Here are the reasons people do it. Because the feeling of being naked is very nice and comfortable and it makes some people feel very free in their skin and it removes the shackles of uh, the identities that we all give ourselves and the costumes that we put on and the uniforms and the versions of ourselves that we try to project to make ourselves feel like we fit in with other people. Mm. Yeah. And you just remove that and it can really simplify social interactions apparently. Like this one man that I was listening to described how you just feel like you're being much more authentic version of yourself and it's actually easier to connect with people more quickly Yeah. because you're just bearing your true self and your bits I said it's a community people do it for it kind of reminded me of some of my Mensa research last week people join Mensa and go to nudist clubs to do many of the same activities table tennis so um, more reasons people might do it body confidence it can make you feel more comfortable seeing and being around all kinds of different body shapes and I, I will say even in the two photos that you sent us yesterday you just look at them and you think, 
God, everyone really does have such different bodies. Mm. I felt like I it was quite nice. I like it. I like it when you go to the sauna. Yeah, yeah. And you, there's just all yeah. kinds of tits in there. And I think it. Well, obviously, some things can make you f- feel bad about your body if you're holding yourself to a certain standard that you already think is right, which is dumb anyway because there's no such thing. She says doing it every second of every day, but it just makes you feel. Like you might see something that either looks more like you and then you're like, okay, that makes more sense. I suppose it helps to contextualise yourself sometimes. I think what's weird and I was thinking about is that a lot of what you don't like about your body is to do with how your body looks in clothes. And I was thinking of back to episode B when you did boobs, Marika, Mm. and the pair of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What, my boobs? Yeah. Both you and Jelly said how you didn't like having big boobs because it didn't feel like they fit with how you actually saw yourself or like how you wanted to dress. Yeah. And would that be as much of a problem if we were all naked? No, yeah. And and it makes you realise how about you. much clothes are so far removed from ourselves. The uniforms and the trends that we kind of observe, whether we consciously try to observe them or not we're all kind of playing this game of this uniform yeah that like gives different signals but if you remove the clothes there's none of that to read yeah yeah yeah, that's so true so yes body confidence that was one of them then there's health benefits so apparently need i even tell you the sun is very good for a range of different reasons and some of them eczema Jelly, you oh. and I might like to know. Hey, me and too Rika's now. Feet. Oh, and your feet too. But and also hands. the sun actually oh. makes my skin hurt. So Yeah, mine too. But I wonder whether that's partially sweat. And I also wonder if it's because we're not in it the whole time. And so when we do take yeah. off our clothes, it's stressful. I want to tell you a bit about the etiquette of nudism. But just briefly, a little bit of history. <laughs> we love it. So the word naturism was first used by a Belgian man called Jean-Baptiste Luc Planchon in 1778. And it was used to advocate nudism as improving healthy living, healthy lifestyle. The first naturist club was in British colonial India in 1891 and it was called the Fellowship of the Naked Trust. And I think it had literally three members and then kind of was disbanded. Uh, I was about to say, Marika's face and eyes as Gina said, fellowship. <laughs> I honestly wrote that one down just for you. Thank you. I'm really talking as well, I should have said this at the top, but about the kind of Western idea of nudism because nudism, nudity is practised around the world and has been in different ways and still is for lots of different reasons, but I am talking about sort of yeah, nudism as we as we think of it yeah. uh, on the beaches, etc. Early 1900s, Germany papers were published on the benefits of nudity and that's when it was first kind of tied to this idea of an improved moral. So that's very, very brief little history for you there. And now I'd like to talk about the etiquette of it. Number one. And I hear this is the most important thing about being a nudist. Do you want to have a guess? Keeping, keeping a clean shot. Oh, no, wait, sorry. It's that's number etiquette. two. Don't look. No, that's on there. So Don't number, touch. Number one is uh, carry a towel with you. Oh. 
Because you have to lay it down on a seat to sit on because oh. you're sharing sofas, bar stools. Can you imagine sitting on a bar stool <laughs> after someone who's had their sweaty gooch yeah. squelching yeah, around can. on it? <laughs> so bring a towel. Number two, have a shower. Before you go into that communal space, make sure you're clean because no one wants to be snorting your pungent pong pong number three photographs you don't go around taking pictures yeah especially when there are children around you can take people's pictures if they've given you permission but most people apparently put a little sticker on their phone because now where everyone's got their phones they just put a sticker over their phone when they arrive at the club to be to kind of show they're not number four staring so it is okay to look I hear. <laughs> as, this is a nice term, as in the textile world, so that's what we, we're oh, in, that's oh. what we're in, the clothed world. As in the textile world, it's fine to look. Like, I would look at your outfit, but I'm not going to stare at your shirt. Why not? For, because it would start to look weird, and you'd think, why is she staring at my shirt? Yeah. And so it's the same principle. You can have a look. It's natural. We're all looking at each other, we're all checking each other out in micro moments but you just don't linger on the clitoris of, <laughs> of the woman serving you a burger okay yeah yeah <laughs> or whatever yeah um Christ. no shagging number five no shagging no shagging whatever uh, well no of course you can but these are public in, in, the, cl- in the pub that's, but that's the same as, 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 well. as us textiles. Yeah, yeah but the textile world doesn't have to rule bring a towel everywhere they've got to have it should a- do <laughs> never know what might happen that's true very true but no so no nudity does not equal sex sex yeah yeah so yeah, you yeah. just keep it cool and we and i think probably having clothes makes nudity equal sex totally i want to talk about that but first number six my final point on etiquette erections um of course I and that's where we knew you were gonna go <laughs> yeah if you get an you erection, don't have, have erection. them, but don't enjoy them. <laughs> Basically, if you don't get an erection, it's an insult. Erections are natural, mm. but if you feel that you're gonna have one, girls, um, if you're in the sea, stay in the sea. If you're sitting down with your legs crossed, just stay seated with your legs crossed for a minute. You've probably got a towel with you because number one on the list is carry a towel. So just pop a towel on it. Okay. Okay. And when it's gone back down, <laughs> okay. just carry on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the etiquette. And now back to what you were saying before. I want to go into that. The point about how it's clothes that make nudity mean sex. Really. Yeah. 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 Like, maybe we all just should be naked. What do you think? Well, hang on. There's a bell ringing. When I was talking about, what was it, kissing? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was thinking of this too. What was it? It, it was, was the thing of like, when you cover someone's lips, you yeah. make them more sexual. Yes, yeah, so it was um, like Inuits, colonies and tribes and things based around near the equator in warmer climates. Yeah. Had everything on display and it would, they didn't kiss. Right. But yeah. communities that had their mouths covered because of the cold and had to really wrap up found kissing to be a sort of sexy erotic thing right so it really yeah. that would make yes because if tits were sense. swinging around all the time yeah they would just look like the milk jugs they are yeah now I'm thinking about it I do think that the oh, <laughs> the bit of when you're about to 
have Come on. sex with someone. <laughs> the taking off the clothes bit is really hot. Yeah. Because it's like, what you got down there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think half of me when I was listening, to, so I was listening to this one podcast, which was by a man who's hasn't been nudist that long. And so he's, he's fresh to it and he's trying to kind of encourage other people to take part. And he was so sweet and boring. And I I was just like, what is this about really? And part of me was laughing at him and kind of like, this is ridiculous. Like you don't need a whole podcast on this. Put some clothes on and shut up. Put some clothes on and shut up. Um, but then the other half of me was like, this is actually really profound and we should all be naked. And how separated we are from our like natural selves yeah. and how we live in a world where we think there might be something perverted about people that don't have their clothes on. And yet there is the part of my brain that's going, I think there's something perverted mm. about people that are not wearing clothes in groups and saying it's fun and choosing to have their children in that setting. Yeah, yeah. I don't, like, I have all kinds of thoughts on it. And on which note, I wanted to ask you how you would feel being naked with your family. And I have a feeling that you might be able to talk about this Marika <laughs> <laughs> because of Finnish culture yeah so sauna culture like you would never go in wearing any clothes yeah like swimming costume or anything it defeats the entire point of a sauna which is for skin health you know yeah you're in there, you're in there to sweat to steam and sweat and get hot and bothered but not in that way so yeah up until a fairly old age I had one pube so I don't know when that was Last year? Probably last about summer. then, yeah. So yeah. when I was 30. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I guess like I was a late bloomer, probably like 13 or something. And we would just have a little sauna, me, mum, dad and my brother Ben all together. And then I feel like if, if there were more of the family, like extended family, dad's cousins and stuff like that over, we'd do, because there's just more of you, We'd all the women would go in together and all the men would go in together. And then latterly sort of me and my mum and like maybe a cousin and my aunt would go in and, and Ben and Dad would go in. So it was never weird. But did you reach, did you, did it stop because you were a certain age and then you were like, now I wouldn't want to go in? I mean, I would, I would go in now. I wouldn't care. It's my, fam- it's my family. Like no one gives a toot. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I, but like, that's a really valid point. And yet I wouldn't, go in naked in a sauna with my family yeah I don't like I but also to put it also either. into a different perspective it's not like you're sitting around a table you're all facing one direction staring at like a wooden wall and it's quite steamy and chatting and just like you're not like you're not even facing each other you're just kind of sitting mm. amongst each other mm. and then you run out and jump into the sea so you, like no one and can I also see you think anyway. because you did it from like however old like little tiny. very tiny yeah. there's nothing new and unusual about it yeah whereas like if if it's something that's just one day yeah adult family is like shall we all have a sauna together but what's weird is like if i walked into my mum and dad's bedroom and like my dad was like midway through getting changed or something i'd probably be like oh ha, ha, and like walk out it's like the context yeah. is different because i feel like oh that's like a it's private deliberate. moment yeah whereas sitting in a sauna it's like it's I completely understand the feeling that all these nudists are saying about how it's just like you are just being completely like comfortable Mm. in your natural state it just 
feels very, very normal, very, very quickly. But I suppose it's hard now because it's so much to do with what, what you're used to and what you're brought up in. As in if we'd grown up in a society where I almost find it hard to imagine how I would feel about being nudist because I can't disconnect any of the feelings that I have about being naked within the context of which I've been brought up. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's the same with me. So, yes. Anyway, that is the nudism topic. That was that great. Was, that was great. Love it. Right, I'm talking about Nostradamus. Who? <laughs> I didn't have a clue about Nostradamus. That's why I ultimately went for it. Actually, one thing I was going to say was when I did some research into 1992 as a potential. Oh, yeah. It was very strange because it was basically the same as everything that's happening now. Really? Yeah, which I was quite weirdly comforted by, but then also then saddened by. Like what? Just like loads and loads of wars, loads of people running into places and shooting people, loads of earthquakes that kill loads of people politicians being twats all that kind of stuff mm, that's um, reassuring i guess yeah but maybe it's just been like that since the dawn of time yeah anyway nostradamus <laughs> so i'm going to just talk about who he was very briefly because his prophecies are more interesting stuff to chat about but he was basically um around well he was born in 1503 oh old boy old boy and he was an astrologer, apothecary, physician, and reputed seer. Mm. Seer. Seer. So he was around during bubonic plague times, of Fun course. times. Well, that sounds like a bad time. Yeah, yeah. I'm really Amongst glad. the worst. Amongst the worst, agreed. Yeah. I used to be so scared of that when I was a kid. I did too. I think, I guess we learned about it in school. Yeah. Popping all the big yeah. juicy oh, boils. Terrified. So he would go around actually helping helping people with the plague because he was a apothecary. That's brave. Yeah, it is. No, it's plague. Oh, <laughs> Bubonic brave. And he had a kind of a different way of doing things. So um, he would encourage people to have fresh air and stay clean and get rid of the infected dead bodies and things like that, which surprisingly no one else was thinking of doing. Mm. He also invented the rose pill, Ooh. which was made from rose hips, which has very, very, very high vitamin C. Uh, yes, it does. This meant he had he actually had quite a good cure rate. Cure. Cure it. Cure rate. <laughs> and also kind of nicer to take a rose hip pill than um, have like bloodletting or be given mercury, which was other stuff that was going around at the time. Mm. So that was kind of what he was, you know, doing as a young man. Yeah. He then had, he got married and had a couple of kids and they all died from the plague. So sad. Oh, dearie me. Um, whilst he was away helping other people. He got very sad about that, had a bit of a moment and turned to the occult, I think. I guess you're looking for answers, you know. Yeah. Mm. And he's had some kind of awakening whilst he was doing his research and stuff like that. He also was accused of heresy and I think he had to like run away from France and travel in other places because he didn't want to go back and be tried by the church. So he'd spend hours meditating to bring on these visions. Then in 1555, he published Le Prophète. <laughs> Say it again. No. Um, so this is the most famous thing that is basically this book of all of these prophecies that are done. They're done in four line stanzas, which are called quatrains, which I'd never heard of before. No, no. And he, they were quite obscure because he didn't want religious 
persecution so he mixed lots of different languages which is why translations and stuff are all they're all quite open to interpretation because they're a little bit gibberish-esque or can be translated in many different ways and they talk about a lot of stuff like floods wars earthquakes things like that and then finally he was not the world's healthiest guy he had a gout a very severe gout for Mm. a very long time and in 19... No, sorry, I did not live that long. Wow! Those rows had served him well. (laughs) Yes. In 1566... um, London burnt to sticks. He... No. No. But we'll get to that. Okay. He drew up a will, and then on July the 1st that year, he advised his assistant that he would not be alive to see the sunrise... And he was found dead the next morning, which people think is a prophecy. But then everyone's like, he was very ill. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> but, and maybe he'd said that like every night before for yeah, the maybe. past few months. Yeah. So and he, he died from congestive heart failure. Oh. That's a really whittled down, packaged Nostradamus. Okay. Mm. Just to give you a bit of, bit of background. So his prophecies, obviously, I don't actually have the book, which is a real shame. If I had had more foresight, perhaps I would have... You can get the book that's got them all in it and I would have done some quite fun research, I think, into all of that. Instead, I just had to trawl through the internet. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I've kind of done it slightly chronologically. So, well, no, it is chronological. Nothing slight about it. The first one that people think he... Well, not that he got right, but one of his big ones was the death of King Henry II. And his prophecy is, the young lion will overcome the older one on the field of combat in a single battle, he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage, two wounds made one, then he dies a cruel death. And basically, King Henry II died in a jousting contest with Gabriel Comte de Montgomery. Who was six years younger. And what happened was Montgomery's lance tilted up and splintered into two shards, one which went through the king's visor and hit his eye, and the other lodged in his temple. And then he suffered for 10 days before dying in his bed. Wow, that's quite precise. So that it is quite precise. Mm. Spooky. Do we know he said it before? This there is actually online, and I was about to say this. Um, some people think that he said it like two days after he died. Oh, that then... Doesn't count. Yeah. No, of course, that wouldn't count. But it's hard to tell with these things because it's such a long, long time ago. Um, We actually just don't really know. History wasn't all that reliable. It was not reliable at all. But if that was true, then that's a good one. Yeah, good one. Yeah, really good. Next up was the Great Fire of London. (gasps) Also, the thing with these things is that... The thing with a prophecy is it can only mean something once something has happened that resembles what is in the prophecy. Like a horoscope. Yeah, so it's like, otherwise you're just going to forget about it. Yeah. But suddenly it's like has a lot of weight to it. Mm. So with all of these, people are like going through things, looking for things that could have happened that relate to these things. So yeah. there's an element of confirmation bias in all of this, I think. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So the Great Fire of London. <laughs> Remind me of the date? 1666. Fuck, I was a century out. 666. <laughs> so the the prophecy is, it was a translation of the prophecy as well. The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23s the six. The ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. So the main bit about this is the 23s the six. If you read that as 20 times three plus six, it's 66. So it's giving you the date. Because he does, he uses a lot of different devices in these as well. He loves anagrams and stuff. Mm. 
That's quite crazy. So obviously, in 1666, a fire broke out on Pudding Lane. London burnt to six. And exactly. Yeah, and a three-day blaze consumed the city. And there's something about the blood of the just being something to do with the rats who all had the plague. Because they, they said it wiped, the, the Great Fire of London wiped out the plague because it, it did, killed all yeah. the rats. So that was something to do with it. And that the old woman falling is London herself. There's basically weirdly specific things and then stuff that is... Really general. Really general, yeah. The date thing is quite interesting, though. Mm. Yeah, definitely. This one's interesting. Napoleon's conquest. This is a really weird one. God, a lot of stuff was happening around the time when he was prophesizing. No, he he was... This was all hundreds of years before. He prophesized it. And then this is swathes oh, yeah, of 16, time after. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just thought he had a really... Colourful life. <laughs> We've had a the really colourful life. It didn't happen yeah. when he was like. Yeah, but I mean, it could have been more in closer history. But oh no, this goes years. all the way up to the future for us. Good lord, <gasps> it's ongoing. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Stick Do with me on this journey, on. friends. Okay, so Napoleon's conquest. So this starts with Pau Ne Loron. More fire than blood, swimming in praise, the great man hurries to the confluence. He will refuse entry to the magpies. Pampon and Durance will confine them. So, Pauney and Laurent reference three towns in Paris, although the last is actually named Oleron. But if you rearrange them, it makes an anagram, which is it's a, like a misspelling of Napoleon, but it's like Napoleon Roy, which is Napoleon the King. Roi. No, but it's what is spelled Roy. Roy. I knew you were going to do that when I wrote it out. Um, and more of the fire than of the blood is about the fact that he was non-noble because they t- he took part during a coup. And refuse entry to the magpies is potentially referring to Popes Pius VI and VII, both of whom Napoleon imprisoned. Mm. Yes. Mm. More, more. More, more, more. Okay, this one. We're jumping ahead to Hitler. Uh-oh. Um, there's two... <laughs> Never, quote, good. Never uh, good. What would I call them? Quotrins or something. Two stanzas on this. From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. And beasts ferocious with hunger will cross the rivers. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hister. Into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn when the child of Germany observes nothing. So obviously that's quite straight up. Hister is an old name for the Danube River, but also some people think that he was just slightly off. Okay, yeah. Because it's pretty close. Mm. Quite spooky. What's interesting about um, the Nazis and Nostradamus is they actually used his prophecies as this, like psychological warfare and propaganda. So they would print off prophecies that he had done that felt like they were going to win and was predicting their win and they would send them into enemy lines to like freak people out that it had been prophesied that the Nazis were going to win wow. slash also you know tell everyone on their side that they were going to win yeah yeah so further proving that he can be used and manipulated by anyone yes for different purposes that's sort of an example that you can cookie cut that across to pretty much most things yeah mm. most opinions or yes ideas Indeed. and all of these will be quoted in many different ways across the internet as well which is what's quite frustrating when you're trying to research it he predict the building of the shard yes that's actually on my next page (laughs) um (laughs) before that we've got jfk's assassination (gasps) it's just 
gets spookier the more modern it's it gets. getting closer, yeah. yeah. The ancient task will be completed. From on high, evil will fall on the great man. A dead innocent will be accused of the deed. The guilty will remain in the mist. So obviously, when he was shot from a sniper, that was coming from above, which is the on high, death comes from on high, as the bullet entered his head from the roof of the car. God. Um, well, roof level. And then Lee Harvey Oswald didn't live long enough to face trial. He was killed. And he kept saying that he was a fall guy and therefore innocent and that we wouldn't know. And still technically to this day, we don't know who did it. Mm. And I think over 61% of Americans think it's a conspiracy. Gosh, that's wild that we still don't know who did it. Yeah. Yeah. What about now? What? Are there any that he did about 2023? Yeah. I've saved them for the end. Oh, I just want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Ariana Grande. (laughs) Yeah, because... Will Doth make her way to number one. And Jua Lipa will... (laughs) Um, Becky with the good hair. (laughs) (laughs) Two sisters in a lift. (laughs) So this has been interpreted as a prediction for the end of the world. I don't view it thus. Um, so this was in 1999, supposedly according to people's interpretations of this quote, the world was going to end. So the year 1999, seven months from the sky shall come a great king of terror, shall be revived the great king of Angoulmois, before and after martial reign as chance will have it. So people were saying that it was kind of like the Antichrist coming and the world was going to end. The Millennium Bug. Yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it, around the Millennium? Everyone thought the world was going to end. Yeah, Mm. so again, confirmation bias, probably people getting spooked. But also, there was the solar eclipse then. Oh, yeah. Um, And that fits with his dates, especially because the calendars are uh, always slightly different with like numbers and things like that. He was in the Julian calendar. Mm. Um, I remember that solar eclipse. I remember it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) <laughs> remember it was really weird on. it was weird I remember going out onto the common near my house where we lived at the time and watching it with my family and like loads of people were standing there watching yeah, it yeah with like, those little glasses yeah yeah, yeah. totally clear and you can <laughs> <that, laughs> yeah. look at it well we, you're supposed you have to wear, to wear those glasses. glasses I think I remember watching that there's also something where our shadow gets in the way of something our shadow <laughs> <laughs> that's just yeah. what I haven't been working out <laughs> um, which is always Okay, so King Charles. <gasps> the current one? Yeah. Oh, oh good lord. God. There's a prophecy. A man's hands will swell <laughs> <laughs> to sausage-like proportions. sausages. <laughs> Grasped. <laughs> this one. This one. It's going to be interesting to see if it comes true. Um, Watch out, Charlie. So, because they disapproved of his divorce, a man who later they considered unworthy, the people will force out the king of the islands, a man will replace him who never expected to be king. Well, isn't that true of Lizzie's dad? Because Elizabeth's uncle oh, was the king, Edward. Yeah. And then he got with Wallace yeah. Simpson. And abdicated. And he abdicated. So, but he... No, he hadn't been married before, George, so he wasn't... Was he divorced? No, he hadn't been married before. I like to think it's King Charles. Okay. Oh, my God. I suppose he's divorced from... And it was very disapproved. Oh Diana. my god, Diana, thank you, sorry. Jesus the Christ. The princess. You peeps princess. So those are kind of, those are oldies up to date. Picked... Is that his up most up to date one? No. What about Charles? Well, no, because the point is you can't really say... Oh, but he, I want to know! He hasn't written them in, in chronological order. They anything. do think some of the numbers associated with um, 
three almost ladies like in chapter, a booth. They are <laughs> great wealth. <laughs> well, for instance, the King Charles common. one is at the top of it. It says ten twenty three. So as also everyone was saying, well, he was coron- coronated in twenty three and blah blah blah. It's more like trawling through. Yeah, this is okay, the yeah. this is the like the slightly less mysterious part of it. There's something for everything. Like, potentially, potentially, he just wrote loads of. Poems. But also, I really have skimmed yeah. the surface. This is why I'd the quite surface. like to read the surface, the, read the book. I just thought this was quite like spooky, very spooky. But very spooky. actually, I'm sure there are people who have done much, much more research who could speak. Opposite. No, I'm sure there <laughs> are. So. I'm pretty sure I've done the most research. I think on this Nostradamus. 30 minute segment, <laughs> an honorary degree awarded to Marika. Thank you, thank you. That's Dr. Marika to you. <laughs> yeah, so you know, maybe people will go out and do their own research, come up with their own ideas. Wow, that's great, Maria. Yeah, well, hang good. on, no, but I've got oh, the future potential future ones. <gasps> yeah, yeah. I'm just so saying. there are three which people are talking about. Okay, people, now, which is what I'm going to end on. People talking about it on TikTok. Not, on maybe. I bet they are. Bet they are. I bloody yeah. bet they are. These are two that people think are happening right now. Oh, golly. So the trumpet shakes with great discord, an agreement broken, lifting the face to heaven, the bloody mouth will swim with blood, the face anointed with milk and honey lies on the ground, which people think that we're about to have such a big upheaval. Eat the rich, basically. Oh, yeah. Oh, of, like, it. people having their comeuppance. Does he do any nice ones? Nah. Um, and then the last one <laughs> is... <laughs> Which hasn't happened yet, but this one's very scary. And if it does happen, I'll be very scared. Oh, no. The year of the great seventh number accomplished, it will appear at the time of the games of slaughter, not far from the age of the great millennium, when the dead will come out of their graves. So he might be predicting a zombie apocalypse. Oh, I don't want that to happen at all. (laughs) Come on. We'll see. Well, at least we can all die together. If that happens, <laughs> I want to stay alive. You guys, we would have a game. we would have a laugh. I would be too scared. No, come on, Marie. We'd have a good time. A Imagine if death. we left this booth and it it happened. There were zombies everywhere. We had to Horrible. stay in here and podcast live somehow <laughs> to the world. We got beer and crisps. That's we're running the, out. We've run out. Yeah, I've got some water down here that I'm happy to share. Who would we eat first? Will. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no way, because then <laughs> could you come in here for a moment? <laughs> <laughs> Should I? Oh, please do. Yeah. Well, I suppose so. What I'm going to do for my end is <laughs> near death experiences. Mm. So, if you don't like death and you don't like near, you can skip on to the next episode, which will be. Wait, where are we? <laughs> oh. Oh. No. No. No, it'll be O. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was about something else. First and foremost, I personally have never had a near-death experience. Thank Lord. <laughs> when I say near-death, sorry, I should characterise, I mean you die and come back to life. Oh. Oh, that wait. Sounds no, that's more like death. death. No, that's near-death, my dudes. Oh. oh, a near-death experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely blown my mind. Flatlining. Yeah. Fuck. Well, that, this, this, this is the thing, right? Because I exactly thought a near-death experience is, if you would let me, singular life-threatening episodes when the body is injured by various different things and you're reversibly clinically dead. Right. Right. Which feels like a contradiction in terms to me, but... Yeah, when you're throwing around the D word. Yeah. 
But yes, it's, it's, irreversible. It's, it's people that oh, have been declared you. medically dead and then have been have managed to be revived, basically. But they should be showing that, or they go tell the family like they're near dead. <laughs> no, because in the moment they think they're dead, and then but they should know that they're near dead. But I think then it shouldn't be called a near death experience. It should be called a brief death experience. Yeah. Yes. A BDE. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) So there's a Netflix documentary, which you do always have to take with a pinch of salt, about near-death experiences, and it's a six-parter, and I only watched the first one. (laughs) The whole of the first one? (laughs) I skipped through some of it. But the first one is is literally near-death experiences, and then it's the rest of it is like exploring the the concept that consciousness and life are like can be two distinct things in that you you don't have to have a living active brain to necessarily have some part of consciousness that continues onward so it all gets a little bit woo woo okay. basically was the rest of the netflix doc it's bananas but it is really interesting and apparently one in 10 patients with cardiac arrest in a hospital this is one stat i read undergo some kind of near-death experience, but then I also read somewhere else that somewhere between 10 and 20% of people who medically die and then come back say that they have a near-death experience. So those statistics don't quite match up. But basically, a lot more people than you think are having near-death experiences. The thing that is really weird is that there are, if you're trying to take religion out of it, which is difficult because most people do end up feeling like there was some kind of like much bigger spiritual thing that because I think we don't quite have the language to describe what that is people attain it to being God does that make sense yeah yeah but what I found really interesting is that everyone seems to describe it in a really really similar way like the really common themes are that you become pain-free and normally these are really, really traumatic ways in which you're, or if you're dying, it's obviously going to be quite traumatic. Seeing a bright light at the end of the tunnel, we've all heard that one. Out-of-body experience is a really big one. That happens in pretty much all the cases like that... floaty. Coming looking out of down. your body and looking down, and I'll go in more, more in, into detail about what people tend to see, but that's like one of the most common things. And then meeting loved ones or like spiritual beings that you don't necessarily recognize is is not like oh i'm coming up to the gates and there's marie cringina but it's like a feeling why have we died first (laughs) well i we're older yeah you're a little bit older okay fine but i'd like to die first no No. (laughs) selfishly so that i don't have to watch you guys die. No, you should have another couple of good years in you yeah, but I'd yeah. be there with a nice big banner. Woo, <laughs> <laughs> party hat. God, but then who's going to speak at your... Oh, yeah, hang on. Both of you. Wait, no, but will you both be dead? Yeah. Well, judging by your little... Oh, God, ...example. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> obviously you've got quite a few other friends, so... Yeah, but maybe you could... Near-death experience, come back, mm. just for the funeral. Mm. That's why I'll, I'll come back. Wouldn't put it past Marika, kind of tricks she plays. Yeah, she's Excuse tricksy. Me? And I'm going to talk mostly about one woman's story because she was the main character in the Netflix doc. <laughs> but she described the the sensation of people that you know as she was like it was of like a grandparent that dies before you're born. So it's like a fundamental recognition. Right. But you don't actually know who the 
meeting loved ones, a review of lifetime memories. Life flash before my eyes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and really, really common one: distorted sense of time and space. Being like not knowing whether you're gone for days or minutes or mere moments. It's like a balloon. It's like doing a balloon. And there are bad ones. Just, but I didn't. I kind of got a bit spooked out when I was looking into the bad oh, ones. So no. I, so I steered a little clear of them. So I'm going to mainly focus on the positive things. Wait, but you said that now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Now, well, it's not all just fun and games. Send me an email later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Can you CC me? <laughs> yeah. BCC. <laughs> so you can't reply. Yeah. So that's weird for a start, though, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Come on. But also, I kind of, when I hear people being like, saw a light at the end of the tunnel, is that just partly because, like, that is such an established visual for mm. what happened? And our brains are so impressionable that if we nearly die, then we're just like, oh, I saw bright light at the end of the tunnel. Well, apparently, when you die, reduced blood flow to the visual periphery of the retina means vision loss occurs in that uh, way of like t- tunnel uh, tunnel vision. And so then, that's, yeah, uh, as it narrowed, the light would be quite overwhelming that was coming in. It would look like a bright light, even if it was just like general vision that yeah. had been yeah. moved into a tunnel like when you look down a straw exactly yeah and there are like there definitely are explanations to a degree of things like i'm sure chemicals that get released from your brain when you die or are dying have a near huge, dead near dead briefly dead a brief dalliance with death have a huge thing to play but the, but the thing that is quite interesting is that it seems to a lot like modern science obviously argues that when you're dead you're dead like when you're physically dead you are dead but then this on this netflix documentary there are quite a lot of like really established scientists and neurosurgeons and scientists who are like yeah it's really really strange like we're we're looking at the brain monitors we're like your heart stopped and there is no brain function and yet people can recall things perfectly that they just should not know and that's what's weird about it. Well, like conversations in there. Well, let's get into oh, it. Oh, please. Because, so, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with a woman called Mary Neal. No. No? Yeah. Are you? No. no. Well, apparently she's quite famous oh. because she she had a near-death experience and she wrote a book about it and now she appears in this bloody Netflix documentary. But she... In- <gasps> <laughs> in 1999 oh she went to chile to go on <laughs> to go on like a little kayaking she goes to chile she wants to float around in her kayak going down these big waterfalls but it's a really amazing like kayak trail that you do there's lots of small drops but there are big waterfalls that you can't go down and you should avoid and she like comes to another kayaker on the trail who's I think like lodged between two rocks or something so she ends up having to swerve to avoid this person and of course she's going down one of the bloody big ones oh my god and she's like she she drops and her boat gets pinned between a rock and some boats and she's also upside down submerged in like 10 feet of water so she's she's like I can feel my bones breaking and I'm underwater and there's absolutely nothing I can do like she's drowning basically she said she remembers thinking I should be screaming but having like an overwhelming sense of calm and like she couldn't really feel any pain 
felt no panic, no fear. And she says that in the moments basically where she was, she had just died, she felt more alive than she'd ever felt, which is quite an interesting thing. And she's under there for like half an hour. What? Yeah, 15 minutes, half an hour. It's absolutely bat shit. She says she describes feeling her spirit peel away from her body and float upwards. And then she was greeted by a group of beings that she didn't recognize, but knew that they'd been important in her life somehow. And then she says the thing about the like grandparents before she died. Um, and they take her down a pathway and like up into a, some kind of like dome like structure. And this is another thing that loads of people say that your sensory experience is like a billion percent heightened, like whether it's smell being really strong or colour being really vivid or like sensation, like the guy that I was watching an interview with was talking about how he felt like everything that he could reach out and touch, he became part of the thing that he was touching. And it was like a really strong sensation to him. A really overwhelming sense of love and care and being, which is interesting because it's her actual body is going through something absolutely horrific at this point. And then she says a thing about how there was a complete shift in time or dimension. She has no idea whether this lasted like ages or a second. And she said she had an overwhelming sense of being home, which is quite sweet. At the same time... Meanwhile, she was drowning. Meanwhile, she's drowning. She's floated up out of her body and she's watching the whole fucking thing, which is the most common thing that people talk about of like, they're either watching themselves die and they're watching the scenario in which they're dying or they're watching themselves be resu- like be try and be resuscitated by people and she said she was like able to recall what had happened perfectly when she eventually like was revived and she watched the group of kayakers try to get to her and it, like for like 15 minutes of time although she did say she couldn't tell what space and time was so I don't know how she knows it was 15 minutes but um <laughs> oh, Mary. and then <laughs> and then she watches them do CPR on her and can hear them and can hear what they're saying to her and like can recall what they're like saying to her really clearly and at this point she's been without oxygen for 30 minutes so her statistical likelihood for recovery is basically zero and then she said a really strong feeling that she recalls is not wanting to go back she was like, once she'd got there. So she can kind of see all this stuff going on, but is also like with her spirit yeah. friends. Mm. In this big, the big dome. In the big dome. And I'm I'm saying this, I'm using this story as an example because it's a really general, like it's, it's obviously specific to her, but everything I looked into seemed to describe a really, really similar sensation of what a near-death experience is. Yeah, yeah she said she felt very cosy. To be honest, I really like the sound of it. <laughs> but the, the kind of spirit dudes that she's with are like baby gotta go back it's not your time kind of thing which is a really really common one as well obviously when they pull her out of the water she's like bloated purple and has fixed pupils oh my god Jesus yeah it's really 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 crazy um and then she was like but somehow I had no brain damage and then she's like my kids might say something differently uh (laughs) it would make you feel so famous the spirit saying to you, you have to go back, it's not your time. Yeah, like, what is your purpose then? Yeah. yeah. Why was it not your time? And people are like, well, so it's probably the drugs, like in hospitals and stuff, it will be drugs that you're given near death that to help with 
pain relief and stuff that are probably causing it and then it, and then they looked into that they <laughs> specific but and and it's like in times when near death experiences are reported the fewer drugs that they've been given it seems like drugs seem to actually stop people from having these experiences so it's not mm. also she was pinned in a well, waterfall exa- exactly so. yeah mo- and most of them are these like tra- really traumatic things and it's just so strange that so many of them share the same thing but then it's really hard to know whether which I think you said Gina like now that I know so much about near death experiences so much <laughs> if I had another one, honorary <laughs> doctor if I had one would I come back and be like oh my god I, that's so weird I had all these weird things of the things that I'd read mm. about yeah but then, you know I mean? but then it's I guess people have very comparable experiences on drugs and there must be chemicals that are released in your brain in these moments yeah. that is like taking the same drugs yeah people experience like the same levels of euphoria yeah yeah and uh, physical sensations yeah. connectedness out of body all of that stuff yeah so it must be uh, the drugs but the out of body thing is is really interesting because they all they seem to have really similar experiences of being able to just see exactly what's happening and then there's a woman called Pam Reynolds who's interviewed also in this documentary she has an aneurysm that's so large that if it bursts she would have died instantly and the only form of treatment at that time was to try a surgical process that was like completely lowering which I they do in Grey's Anatomy at some point but they like <laughs> freeze her essentially they lower her body temperature so that her heart stops hard <laughs> do you hear that mm-hmm. Yeah, they stop her heart and they take all her blood out of her body, which I think in Grey's Anatomy they call putting someone on ECMO. <laughs> uh, and thereby it shrinks the aneurysm to a point where it's operatable on. Operable. Operable, thank you. And uh, so she had no blood going to her brain for about an hour and her EEG was completely flat. So there's no brain activity, no brain function whatsoever. Her heart's not beating seems like at the same time she's sort of having an out-of-body experience where she's sitting on the shoulder of the surgeon who's operating on her and watching the whole thing happen he's talking about it the surgeon he's like her eyes are taped shut and she has molded earpieces in her ears so there's no way that she could have heard anything that we were saying her eyes are shut also she's she's dead whoa like she is dead at this point yeah and then she can recall literally pretty much step by step what happened in the surgery she can recall all the tools that they used like she describes every single tool that was used on her really accurately she knows what they were saying and this is all stuff that would have happened after she was like put under the neurosurgeon on it who's being interviewed is like it's literally inconceivable to me that she could have known the stuff that she said when we were talking to her about it because there was no brain function her heart had stopped working and she was clinically dead. Like, wow. That's crazy. So I guess the whole thing that's interesting about it is it. some people say that it challenges the idea that consciousness is created by the brain because in all of these scenarios, people's brains are medically not functioning. Yeah. Mm, so there's a soul. Yes. This seems to be what it's trying, is kind of getting at and the, the whole thing of like if consciousness is not solely dependent on the brain then what exactly is consciousness and that is the question that we don't know yeah i guess probably the reason why people are so fascinated by it is because 
we're all obsessed with death. Yeah, and in it's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen to us all, and we all have no fucking clue <gasps> what happens afterwards. Like we yeah. we don't. So the idea that there's some kind of positive, and also because we all know people. Exactly, we've all lost people. Exactly, the it, idea that they're in a nice big shiny dome with a bunch of their older comforting relatives. Yeah. And I think it's a great time. Especially the thought that while experiencing like some kind of hideous trauma in death, actually while that's happening to you, you might be completely separate from that and having a really nice time elsewhere. Particularly for people who have lost people through that is a really nice thing. So I'm kind of a bit like, why not just hold on to it even if it's all a load of bollocks? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for listening to A is 4. Join us next week when we'll be opening wide for orthodontics, ooing and ahhing over orgasms, and observing octopuses. And for more fun, you can join us at A is 4 on Instagram, or even A is 4 podcast on Instagram, as the former doesn't exist. (laughs) 